you start to realize that you have a name, right? And that's the greatest place you can be in because that, especially if people are telling you, no, we'll wait for you. We, we really want you to do it. You're the only one who can do it. That means that you have, you know, you leverage. have a niche, mm-hmm. you have a leverage. Yeah. There's a value to you doing it that they perceive. That means that they don't think anyone else can do it. Hello and welcome. I'm Kate, and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Welcome back to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with founders of Hoodspot, Amy and Jen Hood. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having us. Hey. First off, we always ask our guests to kind of just take us through your careers from where you started to where you are now. Oh, Jen, do you think you do the chronological? Oh, okay. (laughs) It's weird how when it's your life, you're like, how did it go? Um, (laughs) I'd say it started with Jen took a, a screen printing or a graphic design class at community college is the earliest memory of graphic design officially. I don't think we knew what it was before then. Even and then, though we were drawing and doodling and making friend friends band posters and things like that. All the usual. But um, we got a job at like a coupon clipper and we were doing that until that kind of folded and petered out. And that was our apprenticeship. And they taught us everything on the job, which it was like such a blessing to not have like the, the overwhelming burden of college debt. Totally. Just a few community college classes under our belt. We just had some really <laughs> terrible bad habits built up though yeah, from being true. somewhat, you know, um, on the fly taught. But it, to be honest, it was a great experience. Yeah. And then when that folded, it was just really hard to get hired because we didn't have kind of the, the typical credentials, you know. We were like, okay, we've always wanted to start our own thing. Let's start our own thing. I was kind of working a part-time job making ads for another magazine. We were really young and had, like, we didn't have a lot to pay for yet. So we were kind of lucky at that stage. We were sharing rent and uh, we just kind of built Hoodspot, our studio, and that was like 11 years ago. So we've been building it since then and, and righting all the wrongs and trying to get it into like a really well-oiled machine, you know? That's amazing. What is it like being sisters and business partners? And how did you know this would work? That is funny. We only had like, what, a year apart. (laughs) We did restaurant jobs before we did our graphic design internship kind of apprenticeship job. But um, yeah, ever since we've been doing design, our our careers and our lives have been intertwined. Uh, I know. Which as twins, I feel like we've been really well vetted for that lifestyle because we're used to the forcible sharing, you know. (laughs) But even then, it's hard working with someone that you're really close with because you tend to probably take advantage of them in ways you would never take advantage of coworkers as far as like, you know, maybe being a little bit too brutally honest or things like that. But we really do get along really well for siblings, I think. Yeah. And um, we've just really had to be careful about, it's like, stop, think, would I treat, you know, a stranger like this? <laughs> would I critique a friend's work like this? Yeah. So we do have to be careful as sisters that we don't go straight to like the weird old habits and like, oh, you always get that, you know, the sister kind of sniping yeah. from the woods. You can't get too comfortable. There has to be a healthy level of respect Of respect, there. yes. And I think anyone who works with a loved one or a best friend that they want to maintain that relationship long after knows that. You have that to- was the funny thing about watching, uh, did you watch the Get Out Beatles documentary? Get back. Get back. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Get back. Sorry. <laughs> no, I didn't. 
You did it. You didn't watch it? Oh, oh no, I need to. So, I'll add that. You, you have should. To. You it's should. so good. It's all about the creative process. And you can see like John and Paul collaborating in real time, but you can see it's that magic, but it's also fraught with like any t- tiny remark could set the whole thing off. <laughs> like there's like a lot of undercover tension, but at the same time, you can tell they love each other so much and really yeah. respect each other. So it was funny. I was like, hey, it's just like when we work together, just like we're trying to be nice to each other and respect each other, but we're like, no, that's not how you do it. <laughs> we're so competitive. But I think that actually makes us better at our business because we really want it to be the best that we can, you know? Yeah, it does. It it actually ends up working really well. I love the comment that you were saying, though, like having that level of respect for one another and treating each other as if, you know, your colleagues, because then after you're done working, I mean, there's always, you, you know, your sisters, but after you're done working, you're like, okay, now we can go back to being family. But, you know, during that time, of work, it's really important to kind of keep that mutual level of respect. And also just naturally you have respect for one another or else you wouldn't have gone into business together. Totally. Yeah. I'm like, there's nobody more talented than Jen that I'd rather work with. So yeah, we have to we have to protect this relationship and also the sisterhood. <laughs> but it's true. It's like, I think as we've gone along with doing this longer and longer, it's like, I've tried to remind myself if like I can enjoy the day-to-day process of getting through projects and if it's always just like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over or why won't this just be good already? Because 95% of a project is it not being good or right yet. Not being and perfect so, yet. Exactly. If you can't like find the little funny moments and joys in those days and in the long haul, you know, then you know, by the time it's done, like the fleeting sense of accomplishment is definitely not going to keep you going like you need to. You've got to find a way to just like enjoy the mundanity of it all as well. The process, <laughs> the little wins, yes, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. The, just putting the, the nine to five work in, you know, when the inspiration is not striking. <laughs> right. And it's, I'm sure you also are just able to bounce off the ideas back and forth and like know you have somebody that you trust giving you the honest answer and opinion. Because I th- I think sometimes that gets lost in business relationships. And there's always a nice balance between two founders or two co-founders as well of like one wearing a different hat from the other, but also having that respect of like knowing where your strengths lie versus where your your partner, where their strengths lie as well. So it's such an interesting dynamic and it's so nice to see two sisters working together. I don't know if my sister and I would be able to work together this closely. <laughs> People always say that. They That's do so always say that. It is funny. But like even as kids, we were trying to like hustle things together, little businesses mm-hmm. and stuff. Like yeah. we would try and make little greeting cards and send them to family and make comic books and stuff. So but yeah, the delegation part you mentioned is, is I feel like key. I think it's we, like, yeah, we keep working with companies where it's like, especially if there's family involved, like the ones that are the most successful, we're always so impressed at how they trust each other. And there's clear defined roles, right? Like at the end of the day, this person gets to make the final decision and everyone knows that that person has the company's best interest at heart. So even if they don't agree, they can all say, you know what? We all set our peace. Right. And that's the only way you can grow and scale is if you can trust those people and and make decisions. Yeah. Otherwise, everything just lags on and yeah. on. And like the fear of the unknown just like muddies the water to the point of where everyone's just like, well, I guess this will do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. You lose the momentum. And what do they say? A camel is a horse designed by committee? Like, um, you know, <laughs> that's that so kind good. of thing. Well, I would love to get into your roster, your client roster. You have such a strong client roster and have some of the biggest company names to date. How did you go about getting these big names and what does it take to work with Hutzpah? Oh, wow. You know, it's always been people. 
Now it's a lot more because of maybe reputation and that sort of thing. But initially when we first started out and we didn't have a name and nobody knew who we were and we didn't have the, you know, maybe the resume that would have attracted those kind of clients. But we had people saying like, oh, you guys are so talented. I know you could do this. And my friend needs this. Connecting us with people. It's not always the big company right off the bat, but you never know what your friends or people that you um, work with at the beginning of their career are going to do later on. So do right by every client and treat that like, you know, this person could go on to do really great things and they probably will. You know, so we've had so many friends like that who we did a small project with or a small thing here or there. And then later on down the line, they work at Asics or Nike or they don't even work at a company, but they know somebody who works at that company who is having looking for a team to do a project. I will say some of the earliest ones that I think gave us like no name clients were people we had met by just going out to um, meetups. I was going to say meetups. Yeah. Yeah. So we say they were friends, but it's like we didn't start with those friends just by, you know, our initial circle. We, we had to go out to these awkward meetups, which everyone, you know, hates going to, but it's like, you gotta go. <laughs> Just like hype yourself up, get out there, meet some people. You know, some people we met at a local uh, meetup ended up subcontracting us for their agency, which is a great way to get known yeah. name clients yeah. is to be subbed by an agency that has a better reputation than you. So we got subbed by an agency and worked with History Channel. And then at that same meetup, we met someone who worked at ASICS. And I feel like those two yeah. projects, everyone was like, oh, okay. All they right. must know what they're doing. It's like you have just one logo carousel that's slightly recognizable and it just lends an amazing credibility so that you don't have to keep feeling like you're having to prove yourself or feeling like you're constantly trying to convince your client that you do know what you're doing. One small door can open up a huge amount of opportunity. And I think especially when you start an agency or your own company, you tend to forget that. And I do agree that like meeting somebody at a meetup like you went to could really help you get some of your biggest clients. And you just need one of those big clients to kind of build the momentum. And so I think a lot of people tend to become so impatient when they first start out. It's really being about patient networking and being appreciative of the people that you've met along the way. Because like you said, somebody that you worked on a small project with could go and work at a bigger company that you've been targeting and they've had such an amazing experience with you. And it it is about having that really down to earth. And I think it's like really keeping that those relationships close, no matter if it was a good experience or bad experience, the way you handle a bad experience also can help you get further as well. Because if you handled it with grace and you, there was no sour like ending to it, it could really help you get to the next level because that person was like, they handled it so well. It wasn't their fault. It was the client's fault, whatever it is. And that's not easy to do, but that's so true. And I was also just thinking about what you were saying is um, those smaller projects, We have so many smaller projects that got the attention of Mm -hmm. bigger companies because we treated it like it was the coolest project in the world. So those smaller projects where they do trust you in that way can be way more pivotal for your career and for the kind of work that you're allowed to do. A lot of the bigger agencies are the bigger clients that some of them actually are a little bit more scared to do something out of the box, right? So a lot of their answers are already found for them. Their brand is established, you know. Yeah, there's just so many more rules to play within. There's sure. so many more higher ups to convince. Whereas with a small business who's like, let's just do this crazy thing. I want you to brand yeah. everything. Let's just do it wild. It's like you have one person to convince in a small business and you're all on that. If you're all on that same page, it's so easy to just get it out quick and do something really creative. And you're right. Those ones have been the ones that a lot of people have shown us like when they come to us and it's yeah. a bigger agency. Like when Nike finally 
came to us. They showed us a lot of the work that we had done for a lot of small people, plus a lot of your personal passion work that Amy was doing while we were watching the uh, NBA finals. She was doing these little illustrated animations to try and get more work on our portfolio for the sports you know, industry because we wanted to break into that. And that's what they showed us back. And yeah. we're like, okay, so it works. You know? Yeah. But it's definitely a long play. Like you said, the I think patience, it was like two years later. Oh, the patience yeah. element is key. So it's like you're playing the short game with people, connections you do have, right? Which, you know, might not lead to the huge things, but at least they're paying the bills. Yeah. They're giving you good work. And then, you know, you're playing that long game on the side of the passion projects, the cold reach outs, even things like that. Yeah. And, and hoping that some of those seeds, you know, bear fruit. In the freelance founders community, we discuss a lot about how to price your services. Do you have any tips on how to price out services when people are starting out? It is interesting. Like when we first started, we broke every rule. And of course, we had to break ourselves of that habit, but we literally didn't have any clients. And I think there's things that you do when you first start out that you have to break yourself of and and do the opposite once you get to a certain tier. But um, we just knew we needed good work in our portfolio. And we didn't really mind as long as it was covering costs or barely covering costs. And sometimes even just for trade, we needed the good work in our portfolio that was going to get us, like Jen said, those like bigger clients and um, just proving what we could do. So I think it's it's sometimes it's there's this balance of like everyone's over hustle culture, right? It's like nobody wants to work themselves to the bone anymore. But you still have to take that time to make sure you're investing in showing what you can do. And sometimes that means doing stuff on your own time. At the beginning, it was probably lower rates, but it's like we would just do it backwards from like, what do we need to cover our costs? How do we get three months of operating expenses saved so that we have some room to play with and we aren't making decisions based solely on we need to pay the bills financially, <laughs> you know, because it's like that's never where you want to be either with your business is is purely taking on clients just because you need the money, right? That was the first goals of just like covering costs. But then you start to realize, okay, people are starting to come to us because they say we want chutzpah. We want the chutzpah style. You start to realize that you have a name, right? And that's the greatest place you can be in because that, especially if you're telling people, if people are telling you, no, we'll wait for you. We, we really want you to do it. You're the only one who can do it. That means that you have, you know, you have a niche, mm-hmm. you have a leverage. Yeah, there's a value to you doing it that they perceive. That means that they don't think anyone else can do it. And so that's when we started raising our rates and just realizing that our time was more valuable than just hours spent, right? That's when we started really leveling up our work and getting those larger clients because we weren't just like, how much time can we speed this out in? It was like, how do we how do we make time for like all the meetings and all of the time that go into these bigger projects? Because there's, it's just so much more time that yeah. you can't even account for just hours spent designing, right? Mm-hmm. So, or hours spent ideating or, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. We you also know. used to, to reference, there's, I think it's called Robert Half. They do a salary guide every year. So but, I think it's also interesting to see, like, what would this company have to pay an in-house designer to accomplish this task? Then you feel less bad about what you're trying to charge flat rate or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Because you're like, they would have to hire a full-time designer to finish this project. There's a team of four that I have to cover. I don't know, that can just be really helpful. And then also just kind of comparing notes with friends. It's really nice when you're freelancing to have a community of some sort, whether it's just a text thread or whether it's a Slack channel or whatever. It's so important to have someone you trust that you can transparently talk about numbers. You want someone that you feel has a similar career path to you or something that you strive to be like in your career. Somebody you can talk honestly about numbers with. What was the biggest challenge when you started Hutzpah? I think it was getting the chip off of our shoulder of we didn't go to college we or we didn't get the college degree because we had gone to community college, I should say. But I was studying fine art and Jen was studying. What were you studying? 
Yeah, just, just, just general, general ed. <laughs> Gen ed, baby. <laughs> Floating around. Yeah. So I think we had a chip on our shoulder for way too long because that was back when literally we grew up with everyone saying, if you don't get a college degree, you will be nothing, you know? And I think we had really bought into that. We were making decisions out of fear of like, we don't, we're not worth it yet. We, th- we don't deserve these rates yet. And it's not even not deserve. We just didn't think we weren't confident enough to ask for them. And we weren't confident enough in our presentation of pricing work ourselves to ask for the right rates or to guide the clients more importantly. Like rates are one thing, but doing the good work and making sure that you're confident to guide your client in the right decision making for the project, that was something we really had to learn. And you can only learn by doing, right? And I think actually for people who are not feeling confident, and you would probably agree, co-working by subcontracting with an agency or subcontracting with a friend or fellow freelancers is such a great way to confirm your process, learn how other people are doing it, and just realize, I'm not that far off from what everyone else is doing. This is kind of standard business, you know? And you start to feel more comfortable with how to talk to clients. And having communities like yours or really anything, like I think a huge part of us gaining confidence was just asking other people, like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Is this right? And then them being like, no, that's great. Or or here's my deck. Here's how I would do it. And uh, getting that transparency and just realizing that there's really not much I mean, there's only a few ways to kind of communicate value well, you know, and everyone has their own little, you know, nuance to it. But once you learn a few of those things and you think, okay, like I can do this, then it's really is a confidence thing, you know, almost like competitive sports, like at the top tier, these guys have to really amp themselves and women have to amp themselves up and say like, you know, I'm the best. Like you have to kind of go in with that mentality. You have to have like, that Pat, I got this. Pat Beverly mentality. <laughs> if you're only Pat Beverly. Um, but it, it, one thing I will say, and tell me what you think about this. The one thing that mainly I would say really leveled up our ability to land work and guide the clients successfully was our deck. Our deck game, once we got our decks kind of dialed, presenting to clients was a breeze because all of our notes are there. The mock-ups are there. You're making the case based on all of your discovery and your research with the client before you started the project. And you're saying, this is why this is the right answer, objectively, not subjectively. Once we got that kind of figured out, our game leveled up so much as far as what we were able to get approved and the kind of clients we were able to land. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that because I feel like that is your tool, right? Going into a client and showing the client exactly laying out the scope of work, what the budget would be for something like this. And it just, it packages it up in a really nice way. I work with an agency, it's a digital strategy agency, but their decks are like incredible. And you also get the full experience of what the the agency values are and the ethos is. And I think that's also like a huge part, especially when it comes to design as well, of like, you have a style, you have an aesthetic, you offer different skills and you offer different services. And it is really, if it's really nicely laid out for the client, it's easier for them to take in and absorb. And it also makes you go in with a much higher confidence level. This is your chance. They're expecting it. And we, we just landed a client recently, our biggest client yet that we're, we're working on now. But they said the difference, we finally made it down to the last five, the last three, the last two. And they're like, it's between you and another studio. And then when they finally went with us, you know, I think Jen asked them, like, what was the difference? And they were like, you know, it was the deck. It walked us through exactly what you could do. And we showed it to the other agency because they were so sad that they missed out. And the other agency was this guy's best friend. 
And they still didn't hire them. And so, they were like half of our rate. They were like, half hey, our can rate. You, can you match their rate? And we're like, I just, we just can't, unfortunately. Like, this is going to be a huge project. Yeah. And then, but we still got it because he said the proposal really yeah. blew us away. Because it, it proved, like you said, it proved what we could do for them because we were showing what we could do for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's really important is they are going to judge you based on every piece of communication and on how, you know, you could potentially help them, right? Also, something I think that's been interesting lately is with these bigger projects, we've been personalizing it a lot more to the client as well. So before we even get into like who we are or what we're proposing and all that, we're like, you know, it's so incredible to be working with presenting this to, and then we'll like kind of do a little funny thing about them, but like make it unique to like why we care and just really personalize it um, so that it's even more than a proposal. I mean, which everyone does to a certain extent, but I think the the more you can do it in a really genuine way that kind of like touches on the human note with maybe a little humor, even you can really capture someone's attention. I would love to get into your course, Freelance in Business. What do you think the biggest takeaway from these lessons are? I think it's just nice to have a system. I think it's easy when you're freelancing to just kind of, you get stressed out. You don't follow the normal maybe steps that you would do if you were working in-house and there was like a clear process of like, we're doing this first, then this, then this. Sometimes you can kind of get lax and and then you get stressed out, right? So just having a framework where it's like, this is the process from start to finish. And hearing from another agency that maybe has a career path that you're, you know, hoping to do something similar to, and just kind of hearing how they present, how they deal with clients, all those kind of things that can feel very subjective and very like, is this what we're supposed to do? It can just be a nice confidence boost, you know? But hands down, everyone says they enjoy the Slack the most. That's so true. Because I mean, you can, it's all, you know, theory and you get the templates and you can customize the templates. But when it comes down to like, there's a, you know, someone just called you, they want to know X, Y, Z, you have to get them an answer by end of day. People are in there like, what do I do? (laughs) Has anyone ever done this before? And everyone's jumping in. Yeah, this is what I would say. This is what I said. Here's an example of what I sent to a client two months ago. And I feel like the Slack is where, and everyone just like, you know, pumps each other up and shares their work. And I think that's what a lot of people miss when they go freelance is just like the quick sounding board in the community. Totally. We have the same experience with freelance founders. I I joined freelance founders when I was in the middle of the pandemic and then started working for Carolyn. And honestly, having the, the support through the Slack channel of people that like I've never met in person, but are going through the same challenges as me or are more like resources. And I've slacked the channel and said, does anybody have a breakup email for a client? And I had so many people send me drafts and it was like, it was just really nice because you're not alone. And you're right. Like that's one thing that people miss. I think when you go freelance is kind of the camaraderie of your colleagues in that office environment. And I'm sure you all probably refer each other work and stuff, huh? And collaborate together through the Slack. Oh yeah. It's, it's like invaluable. Yeah, we have a job board. We have other clients that are looking for freelancers, whether it's like a graphic designer or a strategist or, you know, copywriter. And it's so nice to be able to just also tell my client, like, yeah, I have access to well-vetted freelancers. And it adds like a whole nother level for me as a freelancer working for these clients. What you're able able to offer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Slack channel has been incredible. And I think it's like one of the biggest takeaways for us as well. I would love to hear from you. What do you see as the biggest challenge people face when they go full-time freelance? Oh, I think just making like a practical, like starting out really practically. Like, of course, you have your big picture vision and keep that. I think people who go out on their own, I think that comes more naturally probably is the big vision. (laughs) You're already a dreamer. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be doing it. 
So the kind of naive optimism is probably already there. I probably what you have to maybe focus in on is like the practical, okay, let me get my budget together. How do I make a plan to save so that I'm not operating out of necessity and fear? You know, these kinds of more basic things, like how much should I take for my salary or, you know, my percentage out, you know, to make sure that I'm still saving or you know, just like really practical stuff like that. You know, maybe that's, it changes all the time, to be honest. Like yeah. year one, that was probably what we needed to do because we really didn't kind of think about those things probably enough when we started. And then year two, what we needed to think more about probably was like, how do we stop acting like freelancers and how do we act like a studio? There's nothing wrong with freelancing, but it's like, how do we present ourselves in a way that's creates more of a, a professional, like trustworthy front. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, this is just one person, you know, they might disappear tomorrow. It's like, you have to kind of create that aura, you know? And at first I think a lot of freelancers are like, ugh, gross. I don't want to pretend to be anything I'm not, you know? It's like, no, you're not pretending. You're just like really helping your client to feel comfortable, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I don't know. I think that was year like two. And, and I, I think a lot of people have a hard time promoting themselves because it's awkward mm-hmm. and... You, you may not feel it at the moment, right? Like you may be having a, a creative lull and you may not be on your mountaintop moment, you know? So <laughs> yeah. it can be tough when you have to promote and like get work in and you have to reach out and it can be tough not to let it be affect you personally and make you feel bad if somebody says no. That can't reflect personally on you. You can't take that personal. Otherwise, that it becomes really hard to freelance and you just think, why don't I just go work for somebody else? This heartbreak isn't worth it. Yeah. You know? Oh, another thing that we had to come to terms well, we realized that like, we don't need to be ashamed for doing work that just brings in money that we'll, <laughs> nev- we'll never show anyone, but that's fine. It pays the bills. And then we do these passion and projects. And they're good people to work and with. And they're good people. It's reliable. It's easy. It, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not hard. Like, I think a lot of people think, you know, if I'm not doing my niche all the time, then I'm not succeeding. But it's like, it took us a while to really build up a niche to where that was, we could bring in that kind of work constantly. I think the first three or four years, it was like, we're kind of like doing a smorgasbord of things, depending on what we can actually get. And then we started, you know, garnering that power to be able to be really a specialized studio. But even today, like, you know, a lot of the income that we make is from production work that we get from clients that we started out doing them, you know, with them, our niche, which was, you know, brand identity and logo design work. But after that, you know, the brand identity is like solidified. And now they just kind of need repetitive retainer work. And we have a, a designer that does that. So I don't know. It's interesting. You just, it changes it's a new, I know it's a new challenge every year. I <laughs> it think. is. It is a new challenge every year. But that's why it's really important to do like a year end retrospective of like what happened Take account, take stock and see like what was working and what wasn't. Otherwise, you're constantly on the go as like a, a smaller studio or maybe a, a, just a freelancer of one. It's it's easy to just kind of get in the feel like a cog in the machine that's constantly going and never stopping to say like, OK, where am I at? Where do I want to be? Am I on the right path? And what decisions do I need to start making? What kind of conscious thinking do I need to start doing to make sure that I'm, I'm more going in that direction? So mm-hmm. being retrospective at the end of the year, it's so fun, number one, to see what you've done. It's easy to like let the small wins feel too small when they're actually, you got to celebrate them like they're so big because those those are the things that keep you going. So having that year end time to say like, what were the wins? What went well? What were the clients that I really loved working with? How can I work with them again? Or how can I get more work in that space? It turns out I love this space. Maybe this could, could be a niche for me. I love that piece of advice because I don't think a lot of freelancers do that. We're constantly looking in the future of like, what's the next job? When's the next paycheck coming? Do I need to grow? Do I need to scale? You know, but in order to answer some of those questions, it's like you have to reflect back on your past year or even just like 
looking at your past project that you just finished out, like what could have gone better? How could I have communicated better to the client? Was there something I could have done better from my side of things or for what would I need to ask the client for in the future? And I think that's something that is I carry now through like not only my personal life, but also just like when new clients approach me, because then I can implement what I've learned from past projects and past clients into those future clients and have a a better experience. So I, I love that piece of advice. Oh, 100%. that's the only way you improve, right? Is to to take a step to take stock, right? What piece of advice would you give to your 20 year old selves? To be honest, it's hard to think of what I would change because I feel like we got to a good place and we had so many good mentors that I feel like we didn't screw up too badly. (laughs) But I guess maybe like you don't know everything and you don't have to know everything yet. Mm -hmm. Be a sponge. Be a sponge. It's easy to think that you should be there now and why isn't it happening faster? But enjoy what you're doing now and optimize it. We had a mentor that told us that early on, like nothing's ever going to be the perfect situation. And if you know that going in and you just think, how can I optimize this to be better? Then you'll, you won't be as disappointed as if you're expecting perfection in your job or the project. Instead say, you know, 30% is going to go wrong. And I have to be mentally prepared for that so that I'm not derailed when it does. Right. So it's like go in. Not expecting the worst, but preparing for it. We always had this mentor that said, you're quoting this like everything's going to go right. That's the step number one that's wrong. <laughs> so it's like, expect that things will go wrong. When they do, don't freak out. You know, it, that's the time to pivot and just start brainstorming. And he also in that kind of in that sort of vein of advice was always saying, try not to say no, figure out a way to say yes to your client in some small way, even if it's suggesting something different. Just letting them know that you're on their side and you're on their team. And it's not always a like me versus you, me telling you no, me telling you this is out of scope. Instead say, yeah, we can do that. It's, you know, just going to be this much extra since it's outside of scope. Not, no, I can't. It's outside of scope. You know, framing things positively. Like improv. Like improv. It's jazz, jazz baby. It's jazz, baby. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I think actually the thing I would tell myself would be like, keep, Keep the the like the naive optimism like we were talking oh, about. And as long as you learn those skills and you know that you need to keep yourself grounded, I think there's something to be said for people who really like try are willing to try something new and go out there. So if you're interested in freelance, you probably are that to some point that person. So what would you tell your oh yeah? What would self? you say? I grew up in the fashion industry where. I said yes to everything and worked for free for a lot of things. So like I would first probably say it's okay to say no. Yes. And that's what I'm learning Isn't that in my so true. Yes to, I know, yes to her but it no. is true. But it, it is, is true. true. You got to create boundaries. Yeah. Yes, create boundaries early on and manage expectations early on. But then I think I would also like thank my 20-year-old self because she taught me how to hustle in my 30s and taught me to take risks and taught me that it's okay to like screw up because you learn from those mistakes and it's nothing that scary. So that's what I would say to my 20-year-old self. Oh, and it's so nice to fail early, you know, yeah. like your 20s when there's like not much on the line. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Still we're all fail. still failing. Yeah. Still failing constantly. Oh, my gosh. I sent this deck to this client. It was like a big pr- proposal with like pricing in it. And mm. uh, I accidentally sent it to the wrong client. And I was like, no, because <laughs> I was quoting them. And it was like, obviously, price is variable depending on who. And I was like, oh, this is mortifying. Oh, my gosh. I know. Anyway, it should you, happen. You, you just got to get learn. over it. You do live and learn. What are some boundaries you have set for yourself to maintain a healthy work-life balance? Oh, this is a funny one. 
we've never given out our work phone numbers, cell phone numbers, until we get a client. So like we don't have it on the website. We've never had a phone number on that website. We've never had an address on the website. We've never had a physical office location, which at first we just were kind of like hiding it and working around it because we were working from home. We, you know, that was kind of before the whole big work from home movement. It was more just like, how do we hide that we're working from an apartment? But now it's like, oh, we work from home. This is a choice. We're doing this because, you know. It is a choice. It's the best. It, it, I love so it. Now I love it. But I think it's actually been really helpful that not a lot of people have our phone numbers. Not a lot of people know where we are. <laughs> So there's that. And then a, a personal boundary that I set that nobody knows about client wise, but it's really helpful to me is I try not to answer my emails in the morning until like 10. Because if I'm getting started at eight o'clock, I have two really good hours to do creative work or to do the big thing that I need to focus on and get my best hours into that. And then I check my email and get super stressed about the rest of my day. But it's like, <laughs> hold that off because it's like, no one's going to know if you didn't answer it two hours, you know, like I answer it twice a day, once at like 10, once at like three, and then I try and close it and never look at it again. Because you know, when you just keep switching to the tab for some reason to mm. see if anything new is happening in your email, it's like, yeah, just, just close it. For me, my boundary, I would say... I take on the stress of the client when it's not my stress. So it's like, they're like, we need this done in a week. And instead of saying, I can't do that, I'd be like, okay, well, we could do this and we could do this and we could do this. And then I'm like completely stressed out on an unrealistic timeline instead of letting the client know like, hey, that's just not possible. Like, this is a realistic timeline. If that doesn't work for you, then, you know, I really hope you find someone who can make this work. But I think it's really easy to kind of like you were saying to your younger self to want to bend over backwards to help someone. You also have to be realistic with what's possible and making sure that you realize, like, this isn't my only client. If this goes wrong, then I have two other clients that I still have to do work for. And I still have to sleep and eat and live, you know. So I think it's really important to remember that, like, you know, their deadline doesn't mean that you have to completely stress out. You can say no. You can refer them to somebody else. If they're willing to pay a rush, great. Then maybe you can make it work. Maybe it's worth it. But it's really easy to take on the stresses of the client. I think those are both great boundaries. My next question is a lot of people don't end up going out on their own because of financial reasons. How did you approach your financial strategy when you decided to start Hoodspot? To be honest, nobody would hire us. That's why we started. <laughs> it was a total necessity move. Like we always wanted to, but we started it much sooner because we started our company when we were 24, which is very young. And I think most people wouldn't do it that early, potentially. We did have a little bit of savings, not like a ton, but like, I, mean, I think what, like, like $400. One, <laughs> yeah, like one, one month's rent because you were paying 400 I was paying 400 We were living in a little apartment. And then I had a part-time job. And so I was trying to help kind of like supplement. But I think if we were doing it today, I think what we always tell people is at least have three months operating expenses. Yeah. But ideally more. Like ideally it would be great to have like six months saved Because savings is power. I think it was Humphrey yeah. Bogart's agent that said it's the FU fund, which means if you don't want to take something on, you don't have to, you can say. Because you, yeah, 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 you have money in the bank. You, you don't have to yeah. work. Yeah. Definitely um, get your savings up. It can be, I feel like it's like easy to just do like DoorDash all the time. And just like these little things do add up and it sounds silly, but it's like for your first year, try to keep it tight. Try to only purchase the things you need. You don't need the new computer. If your computer works, just keep it. It's easy to see, like... You don't need the iPhone 14. Yeah, you don't need the iPhone 14. There's so many ways you can get around, like, a big purchase your first years and just kind of, like, focus on, like, building up that safety net. Because mm -hmm. it's really easy to go into debt and then be, you know, that rules you then. That rules your decisions and you're, you're losing freedom every time that happens, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you can work a job and then do it a little bit on the side and while you build up your client, that's the ideal. I know it's a lot right. of work and it's not, it's not something that you could keep going forever. I would never say like, you know, work two jobs all the time. But when you are getting started, if you can, 
to keep things safe, like, you know, build it up on the side on the weekends. And then once you're ready and have that savings built up, then go out full time if you've been able to prove the concept on a smaller level. But to just say, like, out of nowhere, I'm going to build my whole client list and just quit. Um, but with no real kind of like groundwork, I think would be maybe not the best way to go about it unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. But then you end up starting just to take on clients, no matter what they are, no matter if they fit your values or if there's something that you're even interested in, you just say yes, because you feel so pigeonholed and you're, you're like at the mercy of just making money. That's something I experienced when I first started because my company, the, the full-time job I was with, and I was freelancing on the side, but the full-time job I was with, they the company got sold. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go freelance now because there was really not any job out there that I was super interested in. I didn't necessarily have like a huge safety net. So I was just saying yes to every client and not knowing my worth and not knowing what I should be charging. And like you were saying, like, if you're quoting based on fear, based on like, they have to say yes, I need them to say yes, you're always going to underbid it because you're so worried you won't get it. Instead of saying, this is what it's worth. This is what they'd have to pay any competitive person that does the caliber of work that I do instead of thinking about it that way. So yeah. Also, you know how dogs can like smell fear and they can like, (laughs) I feel like clients are the same. It's like they can sense if you're desperate and it's like the way you, you know, interact, everything changes when you are desperate, you know? So And there's nothing wrong with if you try and go freelance the first time and it just doesn't work out like you thought and you have to get another job and you kind of go back to the nine to five, don't get down on yourself. Like sometimes it takes a few times to like get used to it, you know? And also don't feel bad if freelance is not for you. I feel like a lot of people really want to try it. Full-time freelance. That's true. Some people really do well with just doing it on the side. And it's like their nine to five is like where they pay the bills. And then they do like a few passion projects on the side that really fulfill them creatively. Nothing's permanent. Like you can go freelance. You can get a full-time job. You can go back to full-time freelance. Like it's, that's the beauty of choosing your own career and doing what you love. My last question for you is what is one piece of advice you have for anyone who's looking to start their own agency? I would say start collaborating like on small things with friends so you can start to find your collaborators. Because if you do want to do agency level work, kind of like you were saying, you have to have those other people that you can pull in to be able to have the manpower to handle some of those bigger projects, you know? So it's like start collaborating on small things with friends, figure out who your collaborators are that you like to work with, that you work seamlessly with. Reach out to agencies. Subcontracting with other agencies is such a great way to figure out systems, figure out procedures, start to gain confidence and get those, you know, slightly bigger projects on your resume. And um, make sure you just don't claim the credit for yourselves. You always want to credit the agency that you subcontracted under. It's easy and get to permission to get share permission it on your to portfolio. Share the work. Yeah, that's yeah, a big so one. Definitely yeah. talk to the agency and say, I'd love to share this work. Of course, I'll say done under, you know, done with, you know, your site linked, all those kind of things. But, um, but yeah, definitely start building those connections in your community because that's like step one. Don't be afraid to share and promote yourself. It can feel awkward, but you know, you have to champion yourself like no one else is going to do it for you. And if you treat yourself like a client and say, what would I, what would I do for my client? Then it can be an easier way of remembering to share and getting excited about it, even on the days that you're, you're just not feeling it. (laughs) I think that'd be my advice then. It's like, I think the best thing that we ever did, well, we had to, cause we're a group. We're not a solo person. We had to come up with a name for ourselves and it wasn't my name personally. It wasn't your name personally. It has a little bit of our last name in it, but to have that kind of moniker to hide behind, I feel it can be really helpful when you're starting out to really present yourself as the, you know, the ideal of what you're trying to do. It, it helps you brand something beyond yeah. just yourself. Even if you're a person of one and you want to start a small studio, creating a brand name beyond yourself, I think can be really helpful 
And then my other piece of advice would be never take your website down. Even, <laughs> even if it's bad, you should have something up, even if it's just motivating you to make a better one. <laughs> but, oh, man. No, these are all great. Thank you so much, Amy and Jen. We loved having you on the podcast today. Oh, uh, thank you, Kate. Kate. Thank you for listening to my chat with Amy and Jen Hood. You can find out more about Amy and Jen by visiting their website, hoodspadesign.com. Be sure to check out our website, freelancefounders.com and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate and review the Freelance Founders podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and have a great day.